What's up, everybody? This week, I'm joined by Greg as we sit down to talk about a generation-defining album, Nevermind, by Nirvana. That and a whole lot more is to come, because maybe I am the one who loves all your pretty songs. Welcome to the show. You know, I don't know much about Nirvana's other work deep, deep down, but would you say that they're all pretty songs? Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you're not, if you're Chad Channing, the the, the scorned uh, original drummer of the group, the peak best of Nirvana. Yeah, right. Well, him and uh, yeah, him and uh, Jason Everman, who was briefly in the band, yeah, got a little little spurned, but you know. Oh, that's that's what happens when you leave a band just before they become successful. But uh, the uh, the what is it? It's Pete Best. It's um, Scott Rayner. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah, all those guys, all uh, those guys. Uh, I can't remember his name. I think it's John Duppenmeyer, Dupenmeyer, something close to that. Green Day's original drummer. Ooh. first two albums. Yeah, they uh, they started pushing real hard to get on to get on the road because they were yeah. they knew that they were they were about to the, hit it big. And their drummer's like, dude, look, I got a family, I got a good job. I, I can't. I, I'm I, I just can't do that. So they got Trey Cool, who was a stoner, slacker, <laughs> high school dropout. It's like, hey man, you want to tour on the USA and play the drums. He's like, okay. Jeez, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so yes, trip down, down drumming memory, trip down, trip down drumming memory lane, as I should say. Hope everybody's doing well this week. As you can tell, we're going to be talking about music here in a little bit, but um, I just want to do a couple of housekeeping things before we got started and then, you know, whatever. Um, I mentioned that we were going to have like a store and donation page set up soon. We're still working on it. We haven't forgotten about it. It's probably going to be ready by this time next week or if not the week after for definite. Um, I also said that me and Greg a couple of weeks ago we recorded uh, what I started calling the Right Here Right Now episodes where we did like an hour long conversation about Skyrim and it came out bloody well if I th- if I say so myself it was about Skyrim yeah, yeah. and we're definitely well qualified to talk about that we have a combined <coughs> hours in the game and uh, I, look considering we both have families it's slightly embarrassing uh, yeah. <laughs> families and multiple jobs yeah. and outside projects businesses etc yeah. but um, we're gonna get we basically put I'm work, working with Sarah we're gonna get the brand in taking care of for that and you know get it ready to go out there and i'm probably going to record a couple more before we we send it out there just to you know so have a bit of a back catalog because these they're going to be random you know when we when we deliver them um also now we mentioned we mentioned in the skyrim episode i don't know bringing this up there is a gentleman that both me and greg follow on youtube his name is major slack and yeah. slack is like the king of skyrim walkthroughs uh, that that is that is the classic undersell right there. Yes, he's brilliant. You have to go watch him, right? If he's, you're a Skyrim fan, go watch, go find Major Slack Attack on YouTube and watch his videos. It's the perfect blend of uh, informative and entertaining. Yes, and the reason I bring him up right this second is because later on in the upcoming week, I'm going to start posting videos to our YouTube channel. Check us out on YouTube of me playing a blind playthrough of last week's. Uh, request Donkey Kong Country. Yes, we are going to blindfold John, and yep. we are going to cover him in tea and crumpets, and he's going to play Donkey Kong. That's right. Feed me more. <laughs> feed me some more. Uh, <laughs> but the reason I say, the reason I brought it up is because it's not going to be a walkthrough. It's going to be a blind playthrough. There is a difference in a walkthrough and a blind playthrough. Yeah. A lot of the things you see on YouTube are blind playthroughs. And they and say they'll say it's a walkthrough, but it's it's but, just some dude stumbling and bumbling around. What happens if I? Oh, oh, oh I died. Okay. Let me reload. No, 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 yeah, no. That, that, that's a blind, that's a blind playthrough, not a walkthrough. It's 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 like those instructional videos that you used to get. You know what I mean? 
and uh, the adult movies. The adult movies are the blind playthrough with the instructional videos. You know, they've they've had years of scientific. Uh, <laughs> that's why you can put it up there next to Tiger Woods. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. He had a good comeback this week. Apparently, he won. Yeah. He won. He won a tournament for the first time in like many many years. A decade, I think. Something yeah. like that. He's showing that he is the greatest golfer in the history of golf. To be fair, it's not that hard. I mean, you know, look, T- Tiger's a great golfer, and I had this conversation with Sarah this morning. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Tiger Woods would do well messing with a windmill? Uh, yeah, the, little ramps and stuff like that. At the putt-putt? Yeah. Yeah. You think Tiger could do it? Absolutely, man. I know <laughs> I know, ama- I know, amateur golfers that own that stuff. So, I mean, a pro golfer? Yeah, forget about it, man. Happy Gilmore, too. Yeah. <laughs> he, needs a, he needs to get the, the hockey puck stick, man. Oh, That's what he's yeah. missing. And, like, the three, four-step... You know, like <laughs> batters, hockey hit, or whatever it is. Yeah, uh, it's, it's like like a cricket, a cricket swing. Tiger, uh, Tiger Woods kind of sounds like a a place, though. <laughs> Where you going this week, honey? Oh, I'm off to Tiger Woods. Uh, <laughs> right. So like something Mr. Rogers would do. Right. Talking to Mr. Rogers. All right. I'm 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 not a big fan of this nostalgia kick of like Mr. Rogers and um, what's his name, the the painter dude, Bob Ross. Bob Ross. Not not that I'm not a fan of. It. I think it's you know wholesome and everything like that. But it just it's not interesting to me because I was never interested in them to begin with. But Tom Hanks apparently is going to be playing Mr. Rogers I saw in the upcoming movie. Yeah, I saw something about that earlier today. That's, if, that's pretty good. You want to talk about nailed casting? He looks. He, yeah, <laughs> no, he looks it. And Tom, Tom Hanks is the nicest man in Hollywood. He's a very yeah very. Uh, Open-minded, very got got a very big heart. So I think that's that's a good selection for him. Although to quote uh, to quote the famous wrestler man Jim Cornette, that's like being the nicest guy in prison, uh, the nicest guy in Hollywood. Still, I mean, <laughs> he's probably nicer than some people we no, know. He, he's, he, he's 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 a great guy. I think I think that's that's a great choice. I got one more thing to to, to add before we go, and this is coming f- this is coming from the immigrant inside me. Okay, when I first got here, I saw that certain convenience stores and gas stations were selling alcohol right right and i i wigged out i wonder what the heck they were doing you know drinking and driving stuff like that then i saw a drive through liquor store yeah and i was like okay that's even weirder right mm-hmm. even though the laws are in place you have the open containers stuff like that today at work i can't say for legal reasons who they are right but i found out that there is a company in this wonderful wonderful country who has a wine delivery service oh yeah I love this place, man. Yeah. I love it. I mean, you can get, yeah, you can get kegs delivered. You can get, yeah. Uh, when I was on tour in Texas about 10 years ago, too, and, you know, John mentioned the drive through liquor stores. In Texas, they take it one step further. Oh, yeah? They they have basically drive-in liquor service. Like, you, <laughs> there's, okay, literally, it's like this huge barn, and they put... <laughs> Every, they put a menu up of what they have, and you literally pull through like you're getting your oil changed, and you say, "All right, give me a give me a case of this and two bottles of that and some uh, OJ and some Sprite." They're like, "All right," and they ring it up and they cash. You never have to get out of your car. Oh my word! And see, yeah. this is com- this is coming from someone whose family worked in pubs and clubs their whole life. Yeah, I mean. Good lord! We take drinking to a whole different level here. You know, I had one end run in the pub and another end run in the uh, liquor store next door. You know, so it's like you know, really, really weird. So, guys, that's uh, if you want more banterous banter like this, 
Uh, why don't you support the podcast? Go to us on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr. Look up Because Maybe Pod. Look up our blog on uh, becausemaybepodcast.wordpress.com and find us on YouTube. As of today, all episodes are now uploaded on YouTube in their entirety. So it's another place for you to listen. If you haven't listened for a while, if you want to listen to what we do, if you don't like listening to podcasts so through a podcast app, you can now go listen to them on the YouTube. That's fantastic. One more thing before we go. I want to say a very, very special happy birthday to the podcast itself. Oh. This is the 27th official episode of the podcast, and it is happening on our one-year anniversary. Very nice. Uh, it, that actually happened this past Wednesday, where I pulled an episode out of my ass, because uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the, previous, the previous subject that I was going to work the opening episode of was in my head, and I researched it, and we spoke about it for months and months before what I was going to do, the celebrity justice stuff. And then I realized, yeah, it's a little too dark for a first episode. <laughs> Trying to yeah. build up an audience. It set, set a different mood than that, yeah. That's so, fair. So we pulled film adaptations out, and we've done a lot more since then. But guys, I want to thank everybody who's downloaded, everybody who's listened, everybody who's taken part, everybody who's contributed something or other. Sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much for making this worthwhile. Thank you for appearing as many times as you've appeared. Oh, absolutely, man. Thanks, Sarah, Molly. Uh, we've had other people do stuff. You know, I'm grateful for every single one of you. Here's to one year. Here's to a few more. And let's let's get these numbers up. So, guys, we, we'll be right back. We're going to be talking about the wonderful Nevermind by Nirvana. Review Corner. All right, guys. Thanks for taking time to listen to this. We are about to talk about, as we mentioned earlier on the show and last week, we are going to be talking about Nevermind by Nirvana, the quintessential album of a generation for any 90s kid out there. Um, just, just... It's hard, it's hard to talk about this one from, from from my point of view, not because of anything, you know, I mean, we mentioned the pop, blah, 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 but nothing like that. It's just, it's such an iconic album, and it's such an important album that, you know, it's, it's hard to get started on it. So that's one of the reasons why I grabbed Greg for this one, because Greg is like Mr., uh, as, as I've shown that I'm Mr. Oasis, he's Mr. Nirvana. Yeah. You know? yeah well, I don't know if I'd say Mr. Nirvana, but I did follow the band very closely, um... And, I, and still listen to them all the time. Yep. I've read several biographies about Kurt Cobain and about the band. So I, I feel like I, I have, I don't want to say a unique insight, but an informed insight. Yeah. Um, so you, know, you know more than your average bear. I, I mean, m- maybe so. And that's just out of pure fanaticism, because Nirvana, Nirvana was the band that got me into rock and roll music. I didn't listen at all to, to rock and roll before Nirvana. Really? Not at all. Huh, interesting. Um, yeah, before f- before that, it was like dance, R and B, hip hop, that sort of thing. And and here's why: I didn't. Okay, I was born in the early '80s during that awkward like hair metal, uh, cock rock, whatever you want to call it, um, era. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, like Winger and um, Motley Crue, yeah. Guns and Roses. I just couldn't get into that. I just wasn't wasn't for me. And then the only other rock that I knew of was like. 
you know, ACDC and like Led Zeppelin and, you know, some good bands, but I just, it wasn't my cup of tea at all. But when I first heard Smells Like Teen Spirit for the very first time, like, absolutely life changing. Absolutely life changing. There's some great bands and ACDC. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, no, ACDC is great. I just, mm, yeah, don't really, not, not, a, not a fan personally, but I respect S- what they've done. Slightly dated. Sure. But I mean, you know, they're, they're a Hall of Fame band. They've oh, they've yeah. had multiple like gold and platinum records. They've toured the world countless times. Yeah, I mean, I respect them. Just oh yeah, yeah, you can ha- you can have respect for someone without being a, being a fan of them. I mentioned my yeah. and this gets me this gets me laughed at, but I mentioned my respect for Justin Bieber at one point. Oh, he's an actual musician. Because yeah, because yeah. what people don't know, he's a what a classically trained pianist, a drummer, a guitarist, bass player. All right, he sings music that I don't like. And he write anybody writes his own stuff, yeah. and he knows how to write. I mean, got to give him that at least. It's, it's one of those if you respect if you if your criteria for respect of a musician is all of these things, you have to respect him. Sure, you know. Yeah. But um, I was one of these people who who heard of Nirvana because see, okay, let me let me go back to to, to my thing very briefly. I when when Nirvana was popular, and you know, I was between eight and ten. And my life at that time was nothing but fo- but football, 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 football. Yeah, Base- I re- baseball for me too. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I didn't baseball. really listen to music that much. It was whatever yeah. my sister was listening to, and I love my sister to death. But her musical tastes changed with wind, and they they did it even then. So like I was listening to things like you know one week it'd be a bunch of Madonna, then it would be Queen, then it would be you know, and I just I, I just didn't find anything for me. And the first time, like like you, the first time I heard "Smells Like Teen Spirit," I thought it was a fantastic, fantastic song. But it was for me, it was one of those songs that I know the song, but I don't know the artist. Mm, yeah, yeah. But I know the artist, but I didn't realize they did that song. If well, that makes sense, right? So yeah. that that's actually a, a contrasting perspective as compared to me. Yeah. In a way, you know, I when I think of Nirvana, the last thing I think of is "Smells Like Teen Spirit." True. Uh, but not not that it's a bad song. No, no, no. That's their... It's a signature song. It is, but at the same time, there's like 40 or more songs that are better. It's their creep. It's their Wonder Woman. Sure, it's, sure. You know. And that's purely opinion, but like some of the best stuff they put out was on the last album they put out in Europe. Yeah, last, I'll, I'll agree with that. Last full-length studio album. I'll agree with that. And, and you know, that, that's, that's, that's the other thing, too. It's not like, a, you know... When I found out the smells like Teen Spirit was Nirvana, it was like, oh, okay, that's the, yeah. the type of stuff. Because I'd heard of Nirvana, but I just didn't hear any. I didn't know of any of their songs. Well, uh, well, let me let me throw this out there for you. The reason that you may have heard of Nirvana, singer from Europe, is that there was a band in Europe in the late '80s named Nirvana. Yes, that was a touring entity. Um, they actually took. Uh, Kirk Cobain's Nirvana to court over the name and um, there was actually two different lawsuits uh, one of them got thrown out and the other one ended up in a judgment of like two or three million dollars um, and then Kurt was quoted later on towards about a year before his suicide maybe just a few months before the taping of the unplugged uh, session that he was he was annoyed because he ended up having to pay millions of dollars for a name that he didn't really like that much anymore Oh, so yeah. yeah. So um, that could be. It could be. I don't know if you heard of the actual Nirvana or that one, but it could, it's one or the other. Th- but either a, way, you knew. You th- knew th- who, there's a few bands like that. There's uh, Blink and Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah, and then there's the Charlatans in the United States, 
and the charlatans in the UK. There's yeah. The UK charlatans when they tour the US, they either call themselves Charlatans UK or the London Charlatans or the Manchester Charlatans. Okay. Excuse me. So um, yeah, it's 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 really really weird. You There's know? a band in town here in Shreveport called the Oasis. <laughs> yeah, and they're a five piece. Does so. one guy like lean into the microphone and say Shein? No, but the oh. dude from. Uh, all American, what all American rejects that that band that I was saw. Yeah, we, I went, me and the wife went to go see Coed in Cambria and Taken Back Sunday a couple months back, and the opening band I think it was All American Rejects. Can't remember. Oh no, it was Story So Far. Story So Far. I'm not, not really familiar with them, but their singer was doing his best Liam Gallagher <laughs> the whole time. I sent a picture That's of right, it to John. Sent a he, was, he was all bent up and he had the big glasses on. He's like. Wah! You know, like yeah. That's gonna that's gonna mess his voice up. It did William Gallagher. Oh, that yeah. was the cocaine and the alcohol. Yeah, but stretching your vocal cords every night and then shouting into the mic. Doesn't. None of it. None of it was helping. So let's get into the nuts and bolts of this real, real quickly. This right. was released in September. Actually, not that long. It was almost anniversary time. Twenty fourth of September, nineteen ninety one. Yeah. Uh, it got to the number one in the Billboard charts as high. Oh, as that position. was that was four days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Five by the time you listen to this. Um, Jeez. UK album chat. It only got to number seven, but this was, of course, back in the time where a top ten album meant more than what it does now. Right. If you don't get a number one album now, it's like it's not a good album. You know, it's stupid. Yeah, the but then they they'll go on the road and make, you know, $50 million oh, yeah. touring or something. Yeah. Uh, it, sold th- it sold an estimated 30 million copies. That's, that's huge. Uh, it was produced by Butch Vig. Butch Vig of Garbage. Of the, Garbage. The drummer yes. and producer of the band Garbage and, yes. and many, many others. Yes, Garbage is a band that sometimes lives up to its name. <laughs> and, and, and Sarah's going to kill me for that, but Sarah's a big uh, Shirley Manson fan. Oh, she's fantastic. I mean, Shirley's a great singer. Very, and she's very got, easy on the eyes. Too. And she's Scottish, so S- she's not going to take any crap from anybody. She's Scottish a, goth girl. She's, <laughs> the, right, she's the stereotypical, I'll glass you, Jimmy, you know, Scotsman. Love it. <laughs> um, love it. This was on the DGC label on the Geffen. Now, for British listeners, if they're not sure what that means, just think of Sony and Creation. Right? That, that'll probably yeah. be the thing. Yeah, Sister Parent. It's it's labeled as a grunge album, but it's also labeled as an alternative album. Well, I, yeah. I kind of disagree with that slightly. I mean, and here's why. Here's why. Alternative can mean anything. Whereas grunge is more specific. Yeah, well, I mean, it, that was a blanket statement, I think, because, like, in the beginning, they didn't really know what they had with that. Yeah. Because if you if you look at what came out right around the same time, um, Use Your Illusion 1 by Guns N' Roses came out. Yep. Um, Metallica's Black Album. So the landscape was very, very different at that time, and... This was basically the beginning of the Seattle scene yeah. that started up. So they didn't really know what they had, per so, se. But I would agree with the alternative. Well, especially now, alternative means something completely yeah. different than it did 20 years ago. I can tell you that much right now. Because now, now alternatives like Neutral Milk Hotel and Imagine Dragons and you know Jack White and people like that. And there's nothing wrong with them. I'm just When I think of alternative, I'm thinking of like... Blink one eighty two, like stuff that shouldn't have shouldn't have been popular. The used, you know, like yeah, but so, but I don't know. It, I think they, they were creating their own genres. Yeah. So that's just what happened. Yeah. So it, the grunge label came after after this so later. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, because the grunge, the basically the moniker grunge was tagged on to to the that scene that emerged out of Seattle because the emerging fashion. It, these were broke musicians. They yeah. had ripped jeans. They had dirty hair. 
chain wallets. Um, you know, they had shirts with holes in them. They wore went to a lot of band shows. Yeah. So they had concert T-shirts and Converse. Now, what, what, wasn't Kurt Cobain homeless for a while? Yes, he he was. Um, he lived off and on on couches. He lived with his aunt. Um, he never never moved back home though. Um, no. He had. He had he had a lot of internal problems with his his uh, both his parents they divorced when he was real little and it, um, uh, serve serve the servants on in utero kind of explains that if you if you want a little yeah. insight on that so yeah it's 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 that that whole scene I mean ironically enough that whole scene was kind of partly inspired by REM which I never understood because listen to those early REM albums the first like you know listen to Green and Document and you know it just they're not compatible, but I guess kind of like I, I know I'm comparing it to Britpop, and I'm, 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 you know, but there are similarities in terms of how, how it went out. The most weird inspiration was the inspiration, you yeah. Know? And everybody in that scene, for the most part, got along with each other. Yeah, there was, was there was yeah there was some unity there definitely. It was professional rivalry, but not personal rivalry. They were and contemporaries, exactly. Yeah. And if like somebody was a little different to the rest of them, they weren't shunned to the side. Because remember, I mentioned no. that um, that like the Oasis concert in in at Nebworth Park, they had like uh, the Chemical Brothers and the Prodigy on there, who were not rock acts; they had they dance acts. But that's uh, for the genre for the time though. Yeah. those are that's a that's like a timestamp show. Yeah, but uh, yeah. But I mean, you know. Um, it's just it's that the, the whole Seattle thing. I mean, you know, the fashion that came out of it, like you mentioned, you know, that w- it's it's always the fashion that pushes the music. I think the music stands there, but then when you can look like your idol, it, it puts a face to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, e- even to this day, I mean, um, my kid, uh, Tara will rock around with a flannel shirt on and ripped jeans. As I say, I saw her the other day, and she was wearing ripped rip jeans, Converse, and a Nirvana T-shirt. Yep. And I she, mean, literally looked like one of my chick friends in seventh grade. And the thing is, she's not doing it ironically either. She's not doing it as a fashion statement. No. She, she, she likes flannel shirts because they're warm. <laughs> she, you know, she, she doesn't wear it ironically, and she does like the music when, when she listens to it. It's classic now, man. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That, but I mean, kids these days listen to the bands that we listened to growing up the same way we listened to, like, Pink Floyd. And The or, Doors. And I had friends that were into, like, Jimi Hendrix, The Doors, yeah. and... Stuff like that. You yeah. know, when you hear your favorite song on the oldie station, that's when ooh. Yeah, it's it hurts, it hurts every time, man. But um, so the album's a follow up to Bleach. I've only listened to a handful of tracks. Have you listened to the whole album? Oh yeah, many, 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 many times. Is it good? Is it is it a good bass, or is it just something that could be considered throwaway? Um, it's an essential for the diehard Nirvana fan. I think the casual listener will find it. Um, lower quality and kind of raw. Okay, but I think that adds a certain kind of it. It, it adds legitimacy to it. Well, it, it it adds a. I mean, I guess you could say that. I'm talking like more of. Um, it's true to the heart. Okay. I mean, the whole thing was recorded for under six hundred bucks. Dang. Um, it was done in one day. Um, uh, the album fe- features uh, Jason Everman on the album cover and in the album credits. However, he did not play on the album. <laughs> the reason he was added to the lineup was because he had money and he was able to fund the money for the album. Gotcha. To which, to my understanding, he has still not been paid back for to this day. Colin, you give him his 600 bucks. Right. <laughs> so you got it. They added him to the liner notes and to the um, f- the photos in the album to make him feel more welcome in the band. Yeah. But um, He didn't pick up a stick. 
No, not not for that album. Uh, he was he was part of their European tour later that year. They um, after the after the release of Bleach, they um, got signed to an A and R subsidy, like an indie indie type label whose name escapes me right now. But anyway, they they went in Europe with to Europe with uh, Tad and Mud Honey and did like a European tour, and um, they got just increasingly increasingly upset with Jason as as time went on because he was. Do, saying like really really cheesy stuff in the microphone and he was like playing all these like hair metal leads and he was he was throwing his hair around like he was a, a crocker and all and it just it wore really thin really quick so they ended up firing him um yeah was it sub pop that they were on sub pop that's who it was yeah you're right um so who was the, who was the who was the drummer in between was it was it, okay i've got chad Channing. here chad Channing. chad Channing's the drummer okay. chad Channing was the original drummer um I actually see in the notes here that he left the band. That's actually false. Okay. He was fired from the band. Okay. He, uh, Chris and Dave, no, excuse me. Chris and Kurt saw a band playing in uh, Tacoma called Scream. Yes. Who featured a drummer um, by the name of little old Dave Grohl. Huh. And that when they saw him... They knew that Chad wasn't cutting it anymore. He was the missing piece of the puzzle. I wonder what happened to him. To Chad? Not to uh, Dave. Dave I mean, Grohl? He kind of, oh. he kind of like quiet after, after yeah. all this happened, you know? He should have started another band or something. Yeah, that would have been epic. But we'll, they, uh, we'll get to that later. Uh, <laughs> I th- one of Chad's problems, too, uh, according to the, my information, is that he was he did a lot of drugs and drank. Uh, um, where he lived uh, was Bainbridge Island, which is east of um, Seattle, a little island a couple yeah. miles off. Notorious for having soups like superior uh, level um, hallucinogenics and stuff Ooh. like that, which can really really mess with you. So they um, they went back on another tour and they hired um, Dave Bruckhard, who played for the Melvins and a few other. They went through about three or four drummers before they finally circled around and got Dave to play. Sweet. So. Well, um, they also released a song in between Bleach and Nevermind Colts. Uh, is it Sliver or Silver? I can't tell. S- uh, Sliver. Sliver. I like that song. I yeah. really do. I think it's, I think it's a really really good song. It's on Insecticide now, as it sits with like Benison and yeah. the electro version of Polly and all that. Well, the, the reason I bring that up is because as they wrote that, from my information, what I've got is that Kirkabay wants to write more simple songs with a kind of a not with a poppy fe- poppy feel, but with like the heaviness behind it. And he wanted to release uh, Sliver as a as a kind of a taste of what was coming around the corner. You know, the, the, this is this song is the style of the songs that I'm, that, that are coming. Yeah, you know, to kind of give what fans they had at the time. Because remember, they only sold what ten thousand copies of of Bleach, and you well, know, and originally the original pressing there was less than five hundred sold. Dang. So you're talking about that's probably considering some sales afterwards. Yeah. I mean, it was like no different than one of my bands ten years ago released a record, and we were like, yeah, we sold two hundred copies. Woo! I, I like, think, I think my band sold like a hundred copies of our. Of our <laughs> CD, so yeah. Anytime, I, I mean, it's, it sounds it sounds low, but you know, it's actually it's actually not bad. It's if, especially if you're a regional band. Yeah, it's I mean, at the con- time they were a very small time, so yeah. And considering that this album sold thirty million and the other one sold only five hundred, right? You know, it's it's it kind of like it kind of brings that whole. Yeah, it, my safety net. It's it cir- circles around. Yeah. Uh, so when Sub Pop went under, uh, uh, at the time that whatever Sub Pop was. Um, they signed to DGC and to their Geff, to the Geffen label, which became iconic for alternative music in the United States. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And uh, Kim Golden and Sonic Youth actually were the ones who like pushed Geffen to sign these guys 
and just pushed and pushed and pushed, and that's why she, she got on there. Um, and so in between uh, in between the sliver and the album, they worked with Butch Vig on a demo that they were shopping around to labels, and they liked working with them so much that they demanded. We're working with him for never. Yeah, that was called the Smart Sessions. I've actually got some recordings from that. Um, there's the uh, with the lights out, three disc box blah, box set. Um, there's there's some Smart Sessions on there. Uh, I believe it's uh, on a plane, territorial pissings, um, something in the way, Teen Spirit, I believe. Yeah, um, definitely a different sound on from the Smart Sessions to the actual recording of Nevermind. But if we get if we get time for that later, I'll kind of go into detail about that. Why? Well, one of the things one of the things I loved about this was um, it only took uh, Chris and Dave a couple of days, a couple of weeks to, to lay down what they had to do, and Kirk Baines just took a while to do. Not because of any egotistical stuff, but he wasn't ready. You know, the, the guitar parts weren't completely ready. The lyrics, some, some lyrics yeah. were only completed when he stepped in front of the microphone and he, opened his mouth. He changed lyrics a lot, too. Kurt was really picky about that. Um, there's actually a funny story about that, um, that how, how fickle and how last second Kurt was about that. There's literally accounts of him, like, driving to a recording station or recording studio, not a station, uh, <laughs> smoking a cigarette, drinking a cup of coffee, while he's writing lyrics on the dashboard on a piece of paper in between red lights. Yep. Like, literally, yeah. Oh, man, that's 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 class songwriting, though, when I think about it, right? Because I can't... I can't uh, I've written some songs myself, some, some good, some poor, but I can't imagine sitting there and writing a song, then going back and writing it again, and writing it again, and a third revision, a fifth revision, you know, just like w- once you get it out, you get it out, you yeah. know. And and I like that style of songwriting because it, it kind of because songs are an emotional thing, you know. And t- to get them out the way that they did was was brilliant. Uh, one of the things I love, and I saw this on a documentary as well. Uh, they, they did a documentary about the recording of the album. I think it was either on VH1 or MTV a couple of years ago. And Butch Vig said that uh, to get the guys to do overdubs or redubs or dual dubs, they'd say, well, John Lennon did it. And they would all go, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, Kurt was definitely a huge Beatles fan. That was one of the things that got him started playing the guitar. And you can thank his dad, uh, Don Cobain, for that, definitely. Uh, now, interestingly enough, while Butch Vig did a fantastic job producing, his mixes just weren't there. And they handed the mixing duties over to Andy Wallace, who worked with uh, Slayer, Run DMC, The Cult, uh, then would look, work with Silverchair, Blind Melon, Feeder, Blink-182, Paul McCartney. And they loved the mixes. They wanted this album to be polished. And then after a while, it kind of, oh, it's yeah. too polished. Well, a couple reasons for that. Um, number one, the band's uh, sound changed in the later end of their career um, especially if you listen to In Utero it's much more it's got a very like warm like big sound but it's also a lot more raw than the yeah. past two offerings oh definitely um, <clears throat> one of those had to do with like the backlash of them like Kurt had this thing with being an, like an icon with being like yeah. the, the symbol of a generation or whatever he didn't want to be that. he didn't want to be that so he thought that if he wrote more like personal more like raw music they would, it would weed out all the a-holes that he didn't want listening to his music anyways. And it kind of did. It, yeah, for the most... I mean, this is a man who would go up to the microphone and be like, if you're a homophobe, a Nazi, a womanizer, a misogynist, get, get, out. get out of here. We don't want your money. 
never come back. Don't buy our shirts. Don't buy our albums. Don't go to our shows. Sweet. Screw you. Get out of here. That's a great attitude to have. And that's what, one thing I love about Kurt. He was always, he was definitely a supporter of women's rights and, yep. and you know, that sort of thing. So if It's okay to punch a Nazi. Oh, yeah. Who mm-hmm. well, you just hate free speech. No, I just hate people who want to commit genocide. Yeah, committing genocide and, and just being an open a-hole are yeah. two completely different things. Different things. So let's go through the songs real quick. Um, it's, I mean... Could any could any other song have kicked off the album other than "Smells Like Teen Spirit"? Um, not just not just in terms of, of its iconicness, but like in terms of its structure. You know, you start off. With, it kind of is a taste. The opening sequence is a taste of how the whole album is going to go. You've got the low bit, the, not the low bit, the, um, the 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 quiet in air quotes bit. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Then you've got the really really loud bit. Then you've got back to quiet again, which kind of was good dynamics. Yeah, which was systematic of pretty much every song on that. That that was kind of formu- formulaic in the '90s though, because um, I don't know if you're super familiar with Corn. Yeah, I know, I know enough cool. Their debut single, Blind, starts off with the, the little ride symbol. Yeah. It kind of follows that same thing. It builds, it gets really loud, and then it drops. Yeah. That was kind of a hallmark of that era that I think a lot of people in, uh, maybe subconsciously borrowed from Nirvana without realizing it. And, and one of the reasons why he did it is, again, he wanted to make it poppy. Without being poppy, if that makes sense, you know, it's right. kind of because if you if you listen to it right, you can do you know if you come as you are, you can pop your head to it like you know, come as you are, you know, and it kind yeah. of it kind of it kind of falls in there, and pretty much every single song on this album is is, is like it. Um, I think it was the best choice to open the album. Yeah, probably pro- probably yeah, it was the strongest song. It was a good lead off. Um, two funny things about that. Um, Oh, um, Kurt, Kurt came up with the main riff for that, the opening riff, when he was listening to Boston. More Than a Feeling by Boston. So he wanted to write something with, with those um, harmonics in it. Yeah. That They sound really cool, um, clean, they sound really good, distorted. Yeah. Uh, also, the title, uh, unintentional plug for his Teen Spirit deodorant. <laughs> um, Kirk Cobain was da- at the time when this lyrics were written. He was dating Toby Vale from Bikini Kill. Yes. Um, and they were, you know, doing Kurt and Toby stuff. I'm not really sure exactly they were what. That. Yeah, basically, they were in. They were squatting in some house, and they were apparently really messed up on drugs. And Toby. Uh, spray painted on the wall Kurt smells like teen spirit and he thought he thought it was some like mention to like like his revolutionary music and all this but it's like no you literally just smell like the the cheap you know yeah, deodorant you literally be you literally been on top of it for so long get off or you smell like it right. uh, <laughs> I love that fact I really do. but I mean it's 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 a it's it's iconic you know it's got the iconic riff it's got the iconic guitar so it's got the iconic video um yeah the weird Al video is better though oh yeah <laughs> and the good thing about it is, is that uh, Kurt Cobain actually loved the Weird Al parody of it, as long as it wasn't about food. <laughs> you know what's funny about that? Um, Kurt Cobain actually had a hand in the production of that. Really? Yes, because when okay, Weird Al always gets permission from his artist whenever he parodies him, because he has to. Except once. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, he's a good guy, so he does. But anyways, when he approached Kurt Cobain, he was like, "Oh hell yeah, please do that." And then he was like, 
um, hey, make sure you add a couple of these things to the video because I originally wanted to put them in a video and I got vetoed by producers and executives. Oh. So that's why in the video there's like a bunch of really overweight women and like dudes cheerleading. It's like a like a litany because okay, yeah. that's what Kurt wanted. He wanted like he wanted it to be for everybody. Yeah, he wanted smoking hot chicks. He wanted uh, overweight, you know, average women. He wanted dudes, he wanted black, people. white. Yes, he wanted people. And the record executives wanted to make it nope. hip and cool. And so they did put a bunch of just, you know... Um, and see, I, I thought that was just Weird Al being Weird Al. No, that was literally due to Kurt's... That was his his uh, that was his vision for the video when it was being shot. And then we, it got absolutely thrown out the window. Which is... I don't understand why, why people do that. It's the band's video. It's the, it's the band's song. You need to listen to that, you know. Because they want to market it, man. And they don't want to try to market some obscure, you know, hard to explain stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, the video to the next song in Bloom was um, a great parody of 1950s and 1960s musicians. Oh, it's great. It's like a Buddy Holly show. Yeah. yeah. I, I, to be fair, this is my favorite song on the album. I love this song. The it's, chord structure is really unique. Yeah, it's in a very, it's in a, um, well, pretty much every Nirvana song is in a minor key. Yeah, but this one's in um, B B flat minor. Yeah, which so for so for guitar player, player, bass player, it has you playing in and on the fr- in, like on the fret markers in between them. Yeah, because there's so many accidentals, meaning notes that don't belong in the scale that gives it that kind of gives it that tension that it has yeah you know it's just it's 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 a great song it is a great song it feels like you know oh i'm gonna confess right now i've listened to this album hundreds of times yeah to this day i've always had a problem deciphering kirk Cobain's lyrics yeah and this was a, this was another one. I, c- I can only pick out snippets. Not that not that's a bad thing, but I mean you know. But the reason I like this is just the energy and the the drive to it. It's nice and sl- I don't want to say slow, but it's like you know, moderate. It's moderate. It's yeah. where it smells like Teen Spirit is fast paced. This one is more solid, should we say? Yeah, yeah I really love the um, the guitar dropout and the verses too. Yeah, I love it when when bands like take mm-hmm. make use of silence. Yeah, I, I was actually doing that in band practice yesterday when we were writing a song. I dropped out for a couple of measures, and they're all looking at me. And I was like, "It just sounds really cool when I come back in. It's some of the energy sucks out, and then yeah. boom, drops back in." They were really, really good at that. Yeah, they were, when, and that's a good example of that. Um, come as you are. Cool video. Cool video. I personally, I would say, don't like it, but I personally think that this song is not as good as it's made up to be. And and it's again, it's only opinion, but it's just I don't know why. It's just something about it that I that that just doesn't do it for me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a good it's a, it's a good track. It's a classic track, but I mean, I'm me me personally. I'm trying to stay as far away from "Smells Like Teen Spirit" in bloom and "Come as You Are" as as, as yeah. a, a listener. Now, I love the songs, but look, I could I could play every good drum guitar and bass part to all those songs i know what they sound like so for me hmm. it's just there you know yeah it's it's a weird it's it kind of doesn't fit on the album really if you look at all the other tracks because i mean there's only really other one track uh, that's that anywhere near that mellowish and that's something in the way but that's totally different that's an orchestral piece this guy's got orchestral stuff behind it acoustic so it's a different... It's a good closer. Uh, lithium, though. I mean, Lithium Come As You Are could be, I guess, brothers, so to speak. I don't, you know, I always thought Lithium was a really, really clever song. Yeah. I, I love the um, the juxtaposition of the lyrics, the, uh, the, the way... Okay, like, 
Chris Novoselic is probably one of the more underrated oh, bass definitely. players as far as okay, I'm not not necessarily technical proficiency, but if like his ability to write a fun and interesting and musical bass line. Yeah. Which is one of my hugest influences and Lithium is the perfect example of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think Lithium is a great, great song, to be fair. And, and it's just got that kind of mellow in and out thing that comes as you all ahead while being more down and dirty. Yeah. Because uh, Come As You Well is way too... Come As You Well is more polished and smells like Teen Spirit. Yeah, it's very... Well, it also has a very existential uh, subject matter. Come As You Are, you know, it's... Yeah. But Lithium is just... I mean, it's named after bipolar... What was that? Bipolar, bipolar medication? Drugs, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... I, I just realized I'm going through this. With the exception of Something in the Way and maybe On a Plane, Come As You Well is the only song that doesn't have, like, a cut scream. And and what I mean by that is like you know, um, territorial pissings and just just like that smells like Teen Spirit, uh, our denial, um, yeah. the in bloom, the ah, you know, the, yeah, it comes you out doesn't have that, yeah, and, and breed ah, you know, if you yeah, yeah. You're right, okay. So it kind of it kind of seems weak. It kind of seems weaker than everything else. Yeah, there's a scream and drain you, uh, lounge act. Stay I away. I don't, I don't think there's one in lounge act or on a plane because lounge act and. Um, no wait, lounge act. Oh yeah, there's a whole entire verse of screen. Forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I think you're you're, you're pretty much right though. I'm on a, yeah, on a plane doesn't have one either. That's one of my favorite songs to play uh, at open mic night. But but on, on a plane has more depth to it though, because it's got it's got the more layers, it's got the more distortion and everything like that. It's got um, backing vocals. There's not a lot of backing vocals on this album either, even though Dave no. Grohl. Uh, Dave Grohl was the first member of Nirvana to add live backing vocals. Fun fact, uh, Kurt was the sole singer for the man for about three years. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's always harder to do if you're a drummer as well. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge, but, uh, you know, Dave is... Dave can a, pull it off. Well, he's a transplanted drummer. He actually uh, started off as a guitar player, was a guitar player for many, many years. A lot of people know that about him because, obviously, they know him as Dave Grohl from Nirvana. They think of him as a drummer. Fair enough. Yeah. But he, he was the original guitar player for the band Scream. Uh-huh. Uh, he moved behind the kit. They had a drummer, and they in the beginning stages of the band, the, Dave's sitting over here playing, and he's watching this drummer, and he's like, man, I could do better than that. So after everybody would leave, he would he went and bought a pair of drumsticks, and he would sit back there and just, yeah. just work and just work and work and work. And finally, he got good enough that the band fired their drummer, hired a new guitar player, and then he became the drummer. And that's how he met Nirvana, was being the drummer of that band. Sweet. So if he hadn't have... If his if his ego or his yeah. I don't know we want to call it hadn't had the ability to usurp that other guy then maybe Nirvana never would have happened maybe they would have just faded into obscurity with Chad Channing as a drummer and see this is the thing about Nirvana too is when I realize it I don't think I saw I saw Kurt play any other instrument other than a guitar right but Novoselic played um, accordion accordion and guitar Dave Grohl played bass and guitar and the drums. Um, I think Pat Smear even put some keys down at some point. Yeah, you know? Pat Smear's very, very talented too. He's he's a very quirky guy. But hey, he's talented. a heck of a guitarist for 108 years old. Yeah, he's at the yeah. time. Uh, <laughs> he's ancient, man. He 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 has to be a vampire. <laughs> cool yeah. vampire. He's, he's back in the Foo Fighters now. I'm, I'm glad he, he took about a 10 year hiatus. You, you can't you can't have Dave Grohl without Pat Smear. It's just you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's yeah. I mean, I always wonder why they didn't bring Chris Novoselic into the fold for the Foo Fighters, but... I think Chris didn't want to do it. Maybe Dave decided it would be 
better to like not look at it as a Nirvana relaunch? Do you want yeah. people to see that? And 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 I think it's also from from Novoselic's point of view. He didn't he didn't from what I've, I've my understanding is that he offered to do the studio stuff with him, you know, to help him get up and running, but he didn't want to go on tour or anything like that. Which because remember the Foo Fighters wasn't necessarily supposed to be a band. More than a project. It was a solo project. Yeah. And then once that first album started picking up steam, he got a group together to back him up, and then it became like a legitimate band. Yeah, he started he started hawking people from different bands and stuff, um, like Taylor Hawkins yeah. from Lannis Morissette. Pat, really? Pat, yeah. Yeah, it was origi- Lannis Morissette's original uh, studio and touring drummer. So, um, Jagged Little Pill, um, the, the artists vary on the different... Uh, tracks however on one of the tracks uh you ought to know which maybe some of you have heard yes a very iconic 90s album slash song um the the drummer for that band for that track was taylor hawkins nice the bass player for that track was flea from the red Hot chili peppers flea does a lot of um and we're going to go on a slight tangent but flea does a lot of um side work like pickup studio work yeah. And, yeah um the okay after the whole george w bush thing when the dixie chicks became personas non grata right. and they recorded their new album they had um flea and the drummer from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Chad Smith. With Will Ferrell. Will yeah. Ferrell. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can remember his name. Chad Smith, yeah. Chad Smith was was behind the kit and Flea was on, on baseball. Yeah. So it's like the Red Hot Dixie Chicks. I mean, just... <laughs> but yeah, the, and, and then top it off, the guitar player for that album was Dave Navarro. Yes. From Jane's Addiction slash Red Hot Chili Peppers. So basically you had like two, like two groups smashed into one with Lance Morissette singing on top. That is a heck of a super group. Now, okay, now that you know that that bass player is Flea for that track, I challenge each and every one of you to go and listen to You Oughta Know and crank up the bass and just soak it in. Yes. Just soak it all in. And then, I want you to realize that Flea did that entire track in one take. One take. Thank you. Was he naked? Probably. <laughs> he probably had st- stuff written on him. But literally, they were laying on the track. Bass player couldn't get it. Studio guy. Flea was in the next uh, studio over. They called him over. He came in. What key is it in? F sharp. All right. Listen to the track once. Went over and threw the, threw the line on top of it. Yeah. See, and I, love, I love guitarists and bass players and drummers who can do that. It's like, okay, let's listen to a demo. All right, I got it. He didn't even use his own bass either because there's a five string on that track. Dang. They used the one that was in the studio. He literally walked in there, and it was basically the equivalent of me going to the bathroom, handling my business, and being out in five minutes. Like, that's yeah. literally what it was the equivalent of. I mean, the dude's a pro. Well, um, now what the heck was at the beginning of Territorial Pissons? That, uh, that was, that's Chris Novoselic, and he's actually singing, um, um, trying to sing, uh, Get It Together. I'm trying to remember the name of the band. Come on, people now. Smile on your brother. Yeah. So, but Chris can't sing at all. But they, <laughs> um, according to what I've read, Chris was big into schnapps and hash during that time <laughs> of his life. So it could have been the combination of those two things. But also, um, the guitar sound on that is worth noting. It's very different from the rest of the track. To, to achieve that, they actually plug directly into the mixing console cranked the gain up and then adjusted the the volume yeah. until it was appropriate yeah I, I've done that a couple of times it, it sounds it sounds terrible it sounds terrible but it, for some reason it works for that track it definitely worked yeah. um something in the way has always been something that that has intrigued me because 
one of the things I tried to do was try, you know, try and play along when I was learning how to play guitar, and I could never make something in the way sound right. Yes, and I did not realize that it was severely out of tune. It's a, it's like between a quarter and an eighth of a step down from A440, it's, meaning it's not quite an E, but it's not quite an E flat. It, it's like okay for, for a guitar for the guitarist that you're gonna know what I'm talking about. It's like when you put a guitar down for like four months, and then you pick it back up and play it. It's not in tune, but it's not out of tune either. Yeah, it's just a few cents off in either direction, depending on the weather and temperature. And, and so, like, I don't, I don't know if it was by design or Kurt just went, "Fuck it." Well, he, <laughs> here, here's what happened. They were they were doing the production for this track, um, and Kurt was laying it down. And the they had they had three rooms they did all the recording in. Right. They had a drum room, then they had a vocal booth, and they had like the main area where they do all the strings and stuff. Well, Kurt was in the vocal vocal booth. Um, basically just laying down the scratch tracks, which is basically you lay it down, then you go back and you redo it at a better quality. With, yeah. You just basically frame it out. Demo, basically. Yeah, right. <laughs> Couldn't get it to sound right. And Kirk got really, really frustrated, so they took a break. So Kurt puts his, this really nice Martin guitar he was playing down, goes out and sits in the, um, the, the, the control room, basically where we're sitting right now in our studio, where the mixing board and all the yeah. computers... Hard. Long long story short, Kurt starts messing around with the song on the guitar, and he's like singing it like so quietly that you could barely hear his tongue like moving across his lips, you know, just barely doing it. So Butch Butch Vig was like, "Stop!" And then he went and grabbed two microphones and put them both right in front of him where he stood or where he sat, and that's what you hear on the album. And because that guitar. Hadn't been played in a while. It was old guitar. It was yeah. a little bit out of tune, but that emotion that he captured was so good that they just retuned the whole track to fit it. And see, that, it didn't even have a six string. It had five strings. Yeah, you can hear it. Yeah, you can definitely hear. It. Um, yeah, that's that's what I mean. I love I love hearing stories like that from studios. You know, I mean, something in the way is a very very emotional song, and it's like I think it was the perfect way to end the album. Absolutely. Right? As we said, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" is probably the best way to open it. All the energy. All the it's like at that point you're spent, yeah, you're drained, and it's just like, ugh. well, if you, especially if you listen to it, man. Like, there's there's a lot of allusions to like Kurt's past and difficulties he's had throughout his life. Um, it was catharsis. Yeah, um, on a, on a plane. I mean, like that one and a couple other ones are about him struggling with you know addiction and. Uh, like the the um, issues with his dad and his mom that you know the the resentment that he has to them for divorcing was he having his stomach problems at this time <sighs> yeah he uh, his stomach problems actually started um, right around the European tour mm. um, probably stress induced they could never really find a problem with it um, and a lot of people say oh well you know maybe it was because it was the heroin okay well let me let me just go ahead and clarify that Kurt didn't start using heroin until he had the stomach problems. Yeah, I, I feared that too. Is that the heroin was the only thing that could take away the pain of the right. stomach problems? Right, because he'd been to dozens of specialists. He'd had scopes. He'd had surgeries, all kind of stuff. They could never find anything wrong. So he's like, to quote him directly, "If I'm going to be feeling like an effing junkie and throwing up my brains all day, I might as well be one." Yeah, and, and, and I don't know how much truth there is to that, but that that is supposed to be the that's the reason. Now I'm not condoning heroin use, you know. Oh uh, God, no, no, no. But I mean, you know, th there's there's reasons 
people become addicts and there's reasons people become addicts and if if that's the medicine because remember they used to put heroin and cough medicine oh yeah yeah I have a can of Coca-Cola in front of me it had cocaine Coke. in it yeah. yeah cocaine so you know but um yeah, there were a couple of other songs recorded. Um, there was the hidden track, Endless Nameless. Yeah, Endless Nameless. Um, Originally called... Nice. <laughs> not, nice. Not even kidding. Nice. <laughs> Literally. As, kind of, both of the Nirvana hidden tracks just seemed like, hey, lads, we've got we've paid for the studio for an extra day. Let's just uh, crank up the volume and just see what comes out. And that, that, <laughs> and that kind of set a precedence, too, because the hidden... The hidden track thing became that was kind of a big thing after that. I'd never really heard of many bands doing that before no. then. The only thing I yeah. don't like about the hidden track is, but these guys, these guys could get away with it because they were alternative. They were not in the mainstream. Was the fact that it's like forty-five minutes of silence. Af- of silence. Yeah. So I remember one time, um, band called Travis, who I love. Um, this their second album. Which we might cover, which I might cover at one point, might not, don't know. Um, it was a real, real, you know, it was it, it was the it was the precursor to the likes of Coldplay, right? Um, now, in Travis's defense, they can actually do the the you know the standard rock stuff, but they you know they they, they move to more, more melodic stuff because at the time you had the Euroasises, your Blues, and stuff like that, and they just they they found their niche with an acoustic guitar as a po- for rhythm as opposed to an electric guitar for rhythm, right? So they play this real, real, you know, soft song called Slideshow. And I remember I was watching, I was listening to the music, I was reading, and I fell asleep. And then like 40 minutes later, it's the first time I've listened to the album. Then like 40 minutes later, my stereo picks up and like this distortion comes in. Yeah. And like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. That can be very jarring. Yeah, definitely. And plus, it's also a waste of uh, data in a way. Yeah. Because... While there's not really anything there, like just the space and having to wait, what I usually do is I drop the that last track in my editor. Yeah, trim it and pull out all the silence, and then separate those two tracks, and then name the other one what it's, it's actually exactly supposed to I be. Did. Number it, stick it back in the folder. And now, for kids listening who who, who listen to digital stuff, did you know that a, a ten minute MP3 of silence and a ten minute MP3 of music are exactly the same data size? Yep. That's that's the problem with the the having four hours of silence between, you know, Something. track one and or the end of track thirteen and the secret song. But, yeah. So. But Green Day did the same thing a couple of years later for their album Dookie. Um, there's been a bunch of other bands that have kind of followed suit. I don't know if they were the first, but they were definitely Pine. one of the first to popularize yeah. it. Like the Deftones have done it. I mean, yeah, it's. In Britain, Robbie Williams did it. His first album, he put a secret song. His second album, he put a secret poem. And his third album, he literally had 45 minutes, uh, 35 minutes between the last track and the secret track. And the secret track was, oh, you were expecting something here. Oh, sorry to disappoint you. Wow. Click. <laughs> Troll. If I, and, and the weird thing about secret songs, Oasis actually put a secret song on track zero of an album. Yeah, um, and uh, 311's done that too. Yeah. yeah. I can never access it. But yeah. then they released it as a B-side, and it's one of Noel Gallagher's better written songs. Yeah, I've, yeah. isn't that funny how that works? Yeah. Yeah, some of, some of the B, B-side stuff is my favorite, yeah. Um, an aneurysm. I don't know if that was recorded or not, but I've only heard live versions of it, and it's very, very... Dissonant. Yeah, it's... it. The, the main lead is very... It's very, very fragmented. Disjuncted, yes. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Absolutely, yeah. But it's a really, really good song. It's catchy, it's fun, yeah, it's got lots of lots of energy. Uh, that was a good representation of what, like, the the 
how the old style of Nirvana, like Bleach, Insecticide, and Nevermind Nirvana kind of coalesce into one. It's like almost a preview of what was to come with like uh, In Utero and it's, all that. It's silver, silver all over again. Yeah, basically. All right, so I think, I think like I said, great album, 9 out of 10, in my opinion. It's powerful, raw, but clean and polished. Yeah, um, much to the chagrin of... Um, of the band. Co- well, yeah, but especially Cobain. Um, his, his direct quote was... After listening to it, um, it sounds more like a Motley Crue record than a punk rock record. Which is a shame, really, because this is far beyond anything Motley Crue ever, ever could put together. Well, as far as their... I mean, I, Motley Crue's a great band, you don't get me wrong, but yeah, they never had like the magnitude or like the, the groundbreakingness that Nirvana had. I don't think anybody... The last person to have anything similar to that was like Hendrix... Or Elvis, you know what I mean? So it's pretty, pretty huge. Yeah. Um, Kurt's lyrics were awesome and impactful, especially for like your 16 to 22 year olds, you know, who'd grown up with no hope, who'd grown, with, you know, and this is not a left v right thing, but grown up under like, under the likes of Ronald Reagan, similar to the Brits that grew up under Margaret Thatcher, you know, the youth had no voice and no hope. And these kind of songs re- definitely resonated with your teenage to young adult crowd. And he was right around that age, too, yeah. when the album was recorded. He was like 23, 24, something like that. He so. was speaking to his people. Yeah, those, those are his peers, absolutely. As we mentioned at the beginning, a lot of the songs had a very, very low build-up verse, then an epic chorus, then back to low. And it was the defining album of a generation of young Americans. It's changed music forever. It definitely. has, because it... it Okay, basically, and I'm going to try really hard to keep this short as possible because I studied this stuff in college, so I know a little <laughs> bit about it. Um, the, the landscape of music changed drastically in the mid to late 90s because of the advent of uh, the internet and yep. because of the ease of use and because of places like Napster and they basically flipped the whole music industry on top, on you know sideways. But Nirvana was one of those bands that kind of put rock style music back in the forefront because you look at the top 10 for oh, that yeah. year it's like um cnc <laughs> music factory <laughs> and guns and roses and metallica and there's, and there's some good stuff up there but there wasn't anything that was like rock there i mean guns and roses and metallica excluded the rest was like r&b rap pop you know so it just it gave it a voice again it's like when you see like a little weed growing up in, out of a concrete path you know it, it just it was they were going to break through Regardless of what whatever I said, I think they would have just purely from uh, Kurt's songwriting ability. But Dave Grohl is what propelled them oh, into stardom. Yeah, absolutely. You're only a band is only as good as a drummer. You better pick a good one. Yeah, and if you don't have a good drummer, you don't have a good band. This is why Adam Pike has been my drummer for the past ten years. Yeah, Adam is a fantastic guy too. Great drummer. Like he he can do everything. Oh yeah, metal, jazz, funk, like quiet, loud, fast, slow. Yeah, he's a dream drummer. Wink. I don't think he can do quiet that much. <laughs> yeah, you have to. You have to. Um, I'm just joking, man. You have to coax him a little bit, but he'll do it. And what, like we've mentioned, you know, this this basically put Nirvana on the map musically to the masses, yeah. and that spread that whole thing again. That 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 whole eighteen, uh, sixteen to twenty two crowd, you know, dug it. It gave him a game of voice because look, there was a lot of us out there that like myself that were disenfranchised like nothing really spoke to us no. we didn't fit in with R&B and pop and rap but we didn't really fit in in classic rock and hair metal and I think that's what yeah. that's what all great rock because um, I, I, I you know I'm a, I'm a rock fan and I'm not going to say that other genres don't have it but for some reason rock has always been a people's movement 
you know, every time a new genre of rock comes in, it's always around a socio-political event. Yeah, because uh, true rock and roll. I mean, if you go back and listen to Hendrix and Joplin and some of the other uh, classic rock and rollers, and a lot of that was about uh, taking down the man. Yeah, you know, and being thinking for yourself. And that's you know, that's not what being true, a, not being a sheep. That's what know? true rock music is. I I, th- I think so, and that's that's why. Um, Stuffy ass dudes in business suits listen to like Sousa marches all day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, we've mentioned that In Utero was like um, the antithesis of Nevermind, which was the Nirvana follow up. Very, very dark, but a very uh, Scott Scott lit joint. Very, very, very good. <laughs> poor choice of words. Scott lit joint. No, <laughs> uh, album by Scott lit. Yeah. Um, very, very dark. Very different. Uh, Kurt's favorite album though of the um, their very short catalog. It's a shame, really. Um, they remind me of the jam a lot with the sense that they had a lot of... They had albums, they had their, their, their albums, but they had a lot of tracks in between the albums that were only released on compilations or singles. Yeah, and they, they actually... They had actually 22 songs in pre-production for Nevermind, and only, I think, only 14, yep. 15, including Endless Nameless, made the album. Dang. Um, so. Four songs on this album were used in the Unplugged performance, which one day we will get to, because I really want to talk about that in depth. What, uh, all, shows. all apologies, uh, on a plane? Um, uh, it would be something in the way, on a plane, Polly, and come as you are. Oh, you're talking about from Nevermind. Yes. I thought you were talking about from In Utero. No, 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 no. Okay. And yeah, a lot of people expected them to come out there and play Teen Spirit. Yeah, in fact, the, in fact, on one of the documentaries I saw on it, there's a girl, there's a girl like, oh my god, I would like totally love it if they played Smells Like Teen Spirit acoustically. And instead, they did like uh, Meat Puppet covers, <laughs> Meat Puppets covers, and like, uh, what was a Where Did You Sleep Last Night? Was that Lead Belly? Lead Belly. Lead Belly. Belly. And, and here's, yeah. the, here's the thing that that showed two things. One that. Kirk Cobain had a great record collection. Yes. Two, the unplugged format was starting to get stale, where you expected people to just show up and play the classic hits on acoustic instruments. He revamped it. Yeah. It's like it's it's me performing. Who gives a who gives a crap what we play? You know. Yeah. That's that's one of the reasons why Oasis brought a big like um, brass band and orchestra onto their unplugged performance. Well, his thing was too. He's like. You guys have already heard me do these songs, most of these songs. Yeah. Don't you want to hear me do something different? This is my chance to do what I want. So, yeah, I'm going to do a Bowie cover. I'm going to do Meat Puppet songs. I'm going to do Lead Belly. I'm going to do some of our stuff. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm, I'm the, <laughs> I run this thing. Did you not know that? <laughs> That's right. He is the man. I'm going to ask a weird, weird question. Okay. I'm going to wrap up. Kirk Cobain's attitude towards the music press, the music industry as a whole, it wasn't necessarily, you know, Kirk Cobain was going to do it his way or no way. I've been watching a lot of um, a lot of Netflix, and one of my favorite movies is Man on the Moon. Do you think that Kirk Cobain is like the Andy Kaufman of music, in the sense that I'm going to do it my way? I don't care if people walk out if I'm going to be doing this song, as long as I do it the way I want to do it. Absolutely. I'm going to be happy. No, he always trades, stayed true to himself, and he, admittedly, he had times where he was more pop centered and he was more punk centered but that's just his influences hashing out but there's one thing he'd always count on for Kurt he was always going to be Kurt Kurt would be Kurt always alright thanks man well we've got a couple more things coming up and uh, we will be right back with you momentarily
So we're almost done for this week, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Um, hope you learned a lot about Nirvana's Nevermind album because I, I sure did. Uh, Greg, man, it was awesome to have you. Thank you for being on board. You were going to be joining me next week, and we're yeah. going to be talking about uh, Mario Kart. Yeah, mm. yeah. lost I, many of friends over that one. Uh, the dreaded blue shell. Yeah. Well, I, no, I made a lot of friends during the first incarnation of Mario Kart with it because I was so bad. Everybody wanted to play against uh. me. <laughs> Right. Uh, but um, social media question for this week I'm going to put it up on Sunday and I'm going to get everybody to respond to it you have to respond because I need to know does the Mario universe have too many spin-offs you've got Mario Kart Mario Golf Mario Tennis Mario Baseball Mario and Sonic at the Olympics Mario Galaxy Mario Paint Mario Party Mario Party Smash Brothers Donkey Kong <laughs> I mean uh... I haven't really played many of them, so I I couldn't really assertively say either way. But my, my it seems like it's pretty flooded. But yeah. I mean, if people are buying them, there's obviously demand for them. Yeah, so that's true. Then I'd that's say true. no. That's know? true. But um, yeah, supply and demand. But that, but next we're going to be talking about America, America at sixty four. Um, the reason I'm lumping them both together is because number one, I'm not going to have enough material to do on on one, not the other. But I'll have more than enough material to do too. But but the real reason is is it kind of showed as we spoke about in the video game episodes last last season that the changing of technology, the changing of hardware, what you could do, what you couldn't do, and how it was moving forward. And there is a big difference between uh, Mario Kart on the SNES and Mario Kart sixty four. Oh yeah. And uh, one of them is graphics. Yeah. And the ones on the SNES are better, in my opinion. Really? Uh, yeah. Y- yeah. <laughs> but uh, we will get to that next week. Greg, man, thank you very much for, for, for taking the time. We will, Always. If, guys, if you're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, look up Because Maybe Podcast, look up our YouTube channel and our blog. We're trying to get our numbers up. If you like what you hear, share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with your grandma. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> but, guys, we've had fun. We will see you next week, and hopefully we'll have a whole bunch of answers on a lot of the questions that I raised in the beginning of the thing. So, hope you guys have a good week. We'll see you next time. It's, it's, oh. e- it's oh, easy okay. to record in this kind of sequence because if we're gotcha. doing the closing segment, it's like kind of like Dora the Explorer. Okay. What was your favorite part of the show? I gotcha. liked it when you kicked the monkey in the nuts. Yeah, <laughs> that was my favorite too. Uh, <laughs> I'm, that might actually go in the end. I don't know. <laughs>